Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 8, and it can be found on page um, 1134. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So, right, well, we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 8, which is one of those kind of star chapters in the Bible. It's a chapter that is um, full of uh, hope, assurance, and um, And it uh, reveals to us how God preserves us as we persevere through this life, um, whether there are good times or bad times, until we either die and go to glory with him or whether he comes back before we are taken. And we're just looking at four verses this morning. I don't know whether you've ever had... uh, I ever find this, but quite often if I ask somebody at, say, a funeral or a wedding, I'll say um, whether they're a, a Christian, and they'll reply, well, oh, no, I, I, actually, Vicar, I, um, I, uh, I don't go to church, but I, I do do my best, as if, you know, somehow or other, you know, I might be able to put in a good word, but, which I can't. Um, I do my best, and I don't harm anyone. And if I then were to follow it up by saying, well, if you were to die tonight, uh, will you go to heaven? And they're likely to say, I hope so. And it's not modesty that makes them say that, it's uncertainty. And it's not surprising, really, because um, it's the way they think that God accepts us. They think that you have to earn entry into heaven. You have to work by clocking up a number of good deeds to get into his good books. I guess that, you know, if your knowledge of Christianity is pretty limited and, um, you know, cathedrals charge you to go in, they probably think, well, yeah, we've got to earn our way into heaven, really. It's a pretty logical deduction, I guess. Do a bit more good than you do wrong, and you should be okay. I mean, that's the way the average person is likely to think. 51% should be all right. 49% just missed it. So if you think that's the way to being in God's good books, then you're never quite sure whether you'll make it or not. Now, plenty of people have tried that way. In fact, all religions of the world are a variation on that theme, and it's always popular with countries where there's a degree, a high degree of nominal Christianity, more cultural Christianity. And the problem with it, though, is that God's standards are so much higher than ours. 
he sets the pass mark at 100%. No mistakes allowed. Or in legal terms, no crimes allowed, no previous convictions permissible. The Jews in the Old Testament had tried that way. Not that God intended to them to do that, but he provided with them with the law, which would give some idea of his character and his moral standards. But uh, he'd hoped that uh, they would realise they could not achieve that, and so they would look for a way in which God could graciously and with integrity grant them salvation. That's what he'd hoped for. But what they twisted it into is a kind of brownie point system, clocking up merit. And sometimes they would think that they actually could achieve it, though usually they were honest enough to realise they couldn't. So who can doubt that this 100% way, this 10 out of 10 way, is really nothing but a non-starter? And it will result only in our condemnation, because we're never going to get there. In America, apparently, they sometimes use lie detectors in job interviews, as if the future employer wants to know all about your hidden secrets. Well, a lie detector wouldn't be necessary for God, because he knows everything about us, all the secrets of our hearts. And who of us would relish the prospect of our life projected up for everyone to see all the adverse thoughts, words and deeds that we've done. We'd actually die of shame and embarrassment at the prospect. But God knows everything. As a way of salvation, the way of trying to keep the law is really a total washout. Follow that way, and there will just be one verdict, condemnation, and a realisation that we cannot, we're powerless to live up to God's exacting standards. So is there another way? And the answer to that is yes, and it's here in these four verses that we're looking at this morning that begin, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in or in union with Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So being a Christian, being united with Christ by putting our lives into his hands so that when he, if you like, um, comes into our orbit of thinking, when we begin to become convinced that uh, the Christian faith is true to life, and we're convicted of our wrong, and we respond in conversion. He then justifies us. And that's one of the things that Paul says happens when we do that. The result is justification, a verdict of acquittal rather than one of condemnation. There is now no condemnation because of what Christ has done and what we have asked the benefits for. And it means that we're free from the old way of getting right with God, the man-made way of salvation. That way Paul calls the way of the law, trying to earn salvation. As a means of salvation, Paul says, we're free from it. It is a redundant method. So how is it possible 
that God is able to forgive us, to make us justified, declared right with him. Well, we have that in 3 and 4. For the law was powerless to do, what the law, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, our sinful human nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Paul explains, remember the old way of salvation, the man-made way? It produced two results, a verdict of condemnation and a discovery that we're too weak morally and spiritually to keep God's laws. So our problems are these. We need pardon from God, not condemnation, and we need power from God to keep his high standards embodied in the law to compensate for our inbuilt weaknesses. What Paul's just about to do is to explain the two basic needs of ours are met by God, how he's done that. And he says that they are met through his son, verse 3, who came with a nature like man's sinful nature to be a sin offering and through his spirit who's been mentioned in verse 2 and who now in verse 4 is said to enable us who live according to the spirit to meet the law's demands. Through his son coming into the world and dying for us, our justification is possible through the Spirit living in us and controlling and directing our lives, sanctification or being made holy or being made like Christ, distinct from others. That's how living up to the law's demands are possible. Now the words chosen are very carefully chosen. In the likeness of sinful man is what he says. Because Christ didn't come in the likeness of sinful nature, because, of course, he was perfect, he was sinless. Nor did he come in just the likeness of man, as if he's some kind of phantom visitor. No, Jesus was real, a real human being. And because Jesus is both sinless and real, he is able to be an effective sin offering. He can represent us as a human being. He can be a substitute for us because he's perfect. Now, God could have easily done away with sin, as one translation puts it. He did that with Adam and Eve. He excluded them from his presence in the Garden of Eden. And he says at the end of time that those that don't want anything to do with him, he will exclude into outer darkness. That's easy but it doesn't solve the problem of wanting at the same time to save the wrongdoer. And that's again where Jesus comes in. God has to condemn human sinfulness, but he wants to save sinners. So a substitute is needed, a volunteer who is perfect and who is human. And Jesus fits the bill exactly. And so God in Christ is able to condemn sin in the flesh, in a human representative who is our substitute. So there is now, after he has taken our place, 
there is now another way to be put right with God. Since a verdict of acquittal for justification could not be earned, the new option is that it is to be given. Christ who earned it can now give it away. And if we enter into union with him, into a relationship with him, then it is ours and it's past tense. It has been given. There is now no condemnation. We're justified now. And that's how Jesus solves our first problem, the problem of needing a verdict of justification rather than condemnation. So how does Jesus then solve the second problem that we have, the sanctification problem, the problem that uh, we've discovered by trying to live up to the exacting standards of the law when we have such a weak, fallen, sinful human nature? If the first problem is the pardon problem, the second problem is the power problem. When I got married, um, uh, I acquired, by virtue of my wife, a Talbot Horizon. It's a long time ago. And her mother, my mother-in-law, also at the time had a Talbot Horizon. They looked exactly the same. The only difference was under the bonnet. Her mother's had one that had a 1500cc engine. Ours had an 1100 one. Hers could tow a caravan we'd have probably been towed by the caravan. In other words, the difference was that of power. Hers could do something that ours could not do. And human nature is like that, Paul says. But as our result of union with Christ Jesus, the Spirit of Christ enters into our lives and we live according to the Spirit, and so satisfy the law's demands, rather than live according to our human nature. Whereas before we did not have the power to fight the inclinations of our fallen nature, now we do have the resources. We've been given the power by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ in us. And whether you say God in us, or Christ in us, or the Spirit in us is the same. In our experience, we couldn't distinguish one member of the Trinity from the other. But since they all act together in unison, um, they can all be expressed in different terms, meaning the same thing. Now, have you ever wondered why you were born? What is the purpose to this life? Well, this little passage tells us. It is to live a life of holiness. That's what um, to be holy that's why Christ came and died for us. God sent his son in the likeness of human sinful nature, the incarnation, to condemn sin, which is the atonement, in order that the righteous demands of the law might be fully satisfied or met in us. God condemned sin in Christ so that holiness might appear in us. And holiness, though it's an unusual word, but here we're told what it is. It is the righteous or the just requirements of the law fully satisfied in us. That's to say, we're to live up to the law's demands. Not in the old way so that we might, be, uh, we might try and be justified, but rather once justified, freely 
we would demonstrate holiness as evidence of our justification. Holiness is living according to the law, is not the grounds of our justification, but it is meant to be a fruit, evidence of our justification. And then these verses tell us how holiness is achieved. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Literally, we walk according to the Spirit. The righteous demands of the law are fully satisfied in us who live according to the Spirit, he says. In Romans chapter 7, which is all about uh, how we cannot keep the law ourselves because of our fallen nature, and therefore the only way to fulfill the law is to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit by his power and under his control. So what a blessing we Christians enjoy in Christ. We're united with him through his spirit in us. Without Christ, we face condemnation. With Christ, we enjoy pardon. Without the Holy Spirit, we are unable to live up to God's standards. With the Holy Spirit, we are able to do so. Privilege, though, is not without its obligations. We're to live holy lives. That's why Christ came and died. And we know what God wants. He has expressed it in his law. And he's provided the means, the Holy Spirit, for us to achieve it. Now what a foundation for life that does provide. We don't have to strive and strive to do this, that and the other to earn salvation. Do that and we'll fail. We'll never get there. But realize that salvation... Being put right with God is a gift. And then we put our energies acting out of gratitude for what we have been given so that we strive to have a clean conscience and we work hard at doing good so that we might bring glory to God. And we don't have to keep our fingers crossed in the hope of heaven. It can be certain says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's a past thing. It is something that's been settled and established. And with Christ inside us through his spirit, we have the resources to fight temptation, to live the kind of life that we should. So I hope that if you were asked over refreshments, if you died tonight, would you be accepted into Christ's presence? You would be able to answer with a confident yes. Not because you later in the service confess your sins and Bishop John absolves you. Nor because you've been here today, you've mixed with other Christians, you've learnt, you've record, reminded yourself of what Christ has done and will do through communion, or you've enjoyed the company of one another, that you feel good, that's a bonus, but it's no guarantee. No, it's because you know your mind is used by the Holy Spirit to tell you that Christ died for your sins so that rather than be condemned, you can be justified. And although you're not yet perfect, United with Christ through his spirit, you are making progress, evidenced by 
the fruit of your justification in your life. Of course, if you professed faith or to be a Christian and you were persistent and stubborn and disobedient, well, you may have cause to rightly doubt the genuineness of your original profession. But sins here and there met with contrition and penitence and confession are par for the course, even in the Christian life, because we live in a fallen world and they are meant to be confessed and with a sincere heart and true faith they are forgiven. So we press on in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life and our eventual glorification. And we'll see all that in the next three weeks as we go through the rest of Romans chapter 8. So be confident, I would urge you. Not complacent and certainly not arrogant. Be confident of your status in Christ and be clear and sure where you stand. Chapter 7 of Romans, we were discharged from keeping the law. In chapter 8, we're obliged to keep it. It's not a contradiction. Because we are free from the law as a way to earn salvation, but as evidence of our salvation, and out of gratitude to God, and to somehow reflect his, uh, or reflect his glory, with our new status in him, we are obliged to keep it. So be confident in Christ, be strong in Christ, and with the graciousness of Christ, try to show his life in yours and let the world know of his message of how we can be right with him and have a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Amen.